Welcome to the GSI Briefing Podcast. This is Regina Agia, President of the Garden State Initiative. As we begin 2023, 38 states across the country, red and blue alike, have enacted significant changes to their tax codes. An analysis by the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation found most of these changes resulted in meaningful tax cuts. Unfortunately for New Jersey taxpayers, we were not one of those 38 states. Just one example, consumers of recreational marijuana in 2023 are paying an excise tax almost 40% higher than last year. Joining me on today's episode is Catherine Lawhead, Senior Policy Analyst for State Tax Policy at the Tax Foundation. She is also co-author of the recent report entitled State Tax Changes Taking Effect, January 1st, 2023. She serves as a resource to policymakers in their efforts to modernize and improve the structure of their state tax codes. Ms. Lawhead was one of the lead authors of reform recommendations for Wisconsin and Kansas. Prior to joining the Tax Foundation, Catherine worked for a U.S. Senator and a member of the House of Representatives, where she advised on tax policy during the enactment of the historic Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. A native of Illinois, she's a graduate of the John Wesley Honors College at Indiana Wesleyan University holding a degree in English and Business Administration. She also has earned a paralegal certificate from Georgetown University. Here now is my conversation with Catherine Lawhead. Welcome, Catherine. It's great to have you with us on the GSI briefing. Thank you. It's great to be here. We have a lot of subject matter to cover today, so we'll try to jump right into it. The Tax Foundation did an analysis that you co-authored Um, You identified an unprecedented wave of tax cuts across the nation in both red and blue states over the last two years. So at the macro level, maybe we'll start there, Catherine. What are the factors driving these governors and legislators right now? You're exactly right. We've had an unprecedented wave of tax reforms and tax reductions take place over the past two years. And a lot of those changes took effect this January 1st. So to give you an idea, we saw 11 states with individual income tax cuts. We saw five states with corporate income tax cuts and a whole lot of other reforms taking effect. And there are a lot of factors that are driving this. You know, one of them is Going back to 2020, states really weathered the COVID-induced recession a lot better than anyone initially expected. You know, when in early, you know, March 2020, when states were beginning to shut down and businesses had to close and a lot of work shifted from office environments to home environments, state economists weren't sure how this would impact their revenues or how the economy would fare in general. Um, But we're now seeing, and we've been seeing for quite a while, just that states continue to grow despite the early pandemic-induced recession. You know, that only lasted about three months, and then states went back to a growth trajectory. And on top of that, we saw a huge amount of relief provided from the federal government, way more than was necessary. And so states now have a lot of extra revenue on hands and on their hands and um, are looking for ways to return some of this excess to taxpayers in a way that will also make their state 
more attractive for the long run. You know, as the transition to remote work has taken place and more and more people have some hybrid or remote work flexibility, a lot of states that normally didn't have a competitive advantage when it came to attracting businesses and workers are now seeing this idea of tax reform as a way to carve out a niche for themselves and to carve out a competitive advantage where they can be a low tax, low cost of living alternative to some of the higher tax, high cost of living states that people have been leaving in droves. So there's been a lot of different factors playing playing into this, but um, you know, that's one of the big ones for sure. Yeah, to your point, right? It's both that cost of living as well as operating costs for the business that they're all looking at. And uh, the cost of living has become more and more important as, as you say, the remote work model has become better uh, adopted. And in fact, uh, let's talk about a couple of specific examples. Uh, be, even before the pandemic, you know, a GSI has been uh, watching Iowa for quite some time. And as you know, you know uh, Iowa had the highest corporate tax rate above New Jersey until last year. Governor Kim Reynolds and the legislature really undertook strategic business and personal income tax cuts over the last five plus years. So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what's you know happened there as a result of Governor Reynolds' leadership. What Iowa has done in the past few years has been truly remarkable. Iowa used to have one of the worst structured tax codes in the country, but they're now well on their way to having a much more competitive and taxpayer-friendly tax structure. And these are thanks to the bold and pro-growth reforms that Governor Reynolds and the legislature have made mostly over the past five years. So the reform started in 2018, and those were followed with additional reforms in 2021 and still more in 2022. And these are currently in the process of being phased in, so it's not all said and done yet. But the result of all this will be that Iowa will go from having had a nine bracket, very progressive individual income tax structure with a very high top marginal rate of 8.98%. But they're now in the process of converting that to a flat tax structure at one of the lowest rates in the country at 3.9%. And on the corporate tax front, they're going from having a graduated rate corporate structure, which as recently as 2020 was actually the highest in the nation at 12%, but that's being converted into a flat tax that will also eventually reach a relatively more competitive rate of 5.5%. They're getting rid of both their individual and corporate alternative minimum taxes. They adopted a significantly more generous Section 179 expensing allowance for small businesses. They're phasing out their inheritance tax. They're cleaning up a number of deductions. So they've really made a number of substantial pro-growth reforms. And the result of this is that we've seen them make remarkable improvement on our state business tax climate index, which if you're not familiar with that, that's a measure of tax structure and competitiveness. And so before the 2018 reforms, Iowa actually had the fifth worst structured tax code in the country, but is currently on track to having the 15th best tax structure in the country. So that's all reforms that have happened in the matter of the last five years and are continuing to phase in. So there is hope for states that are in the bottom few taxes in terms of tax structure. There is hope to be able to improve incrementally over time. How have the results been for the state and from a tax revenue and for their ability to fund all the programs that they want to fund? Well, you know, they've actually had revenue come in quite strong still. Um, they're one of the states that is continuing to experience revenue growth. 
it's possible they'll be able to phase in some of these reforms faster than expected. Um, the 2021 reforms and some of the 2022 reforms were expediting the earlier reforms that had been enacted. And so Iowa is seeing success upon success. And I expect this will continue as these reforms continue to be implemented in the next few years. That's great. Yeah, because, you know, you want to understand that they had the desired impact. So and we're going to talk a little bit more about flat tax rates in a, in a minute here. But you mentioned that Iowa was, you know, the highest corporate tax rate and before the reforms, obviously. But what we're hearing a big concern for the New Jersey businesses, uh, you know, this year is about, you know, our corporate business tax rate is now the highest in the United States. Right. And um, as you were just discussing, in order to attract jobs and economic growth, the other states are cutting those taxes. In addition to Iowa, North Carolina has been in a long march to reduce their corporate tax rate. And our neighbor, Pennsylvania, just taken a very measured approach to reducing their corporate tax rate over a number of years. And that's really, you know, as you're suggesting, to raise the confidence of the business community on the direction of their tax liability. So is there any state's reduction plan that's particularly impressed you, Catherine? And if you would, please include, you know, in your comments, your assessment of the nearly dozen states that have moved to or are considering flat tax rates around the United States. Yes, well, all three of the states you just mentioned actually have been quite impressive, not just in the way they've cut corporate income taxes, but also in the way they've reduced individual income taxes as well. So and on the corporate front, you know, Pennsylvania is particularly notable because they've been reducing the corporate income tax in a distinctly bipartisan way, which hasn't been as common in some of the other states. Um, this has been an effort that has been in the works for quite a while um, that finally crossed the finish line. And so Pennsylvania's corporate rate was exceptionally high at 9.99%, second only to New Jersey. So the need for reduction there was really great. And now as of January 1st of this year, the rate was able to be reduced a full percentage point to 8.99. And that will continue to drop by half a percentage point each year until they reach 4.99% in 2020. 31. Now, that's a pretty long phase in, you know, after this first reduction that took effect this year, it's going to take a while, another eight years before they get down to 4.99. But truly comprehensive reforms can take time. So it's very good of the state to start these now and to make this commitment to continuing to get that rate down as the revenue continues to come in, hopefully strong. And also in Iowa, you know, going from a graduated rate corporate tax with a high, high top rate of 12% to a goal of 5.5%. Again, it's another reform that will take some time to phase in. This one's contingent upon revenue meeting certain thresholds. So we don't know exactly how long it'll take to get to 5.5%, but it's definitely something the state is committed to seeing through. And then in North Carolina, you know, they started with a rate of 6.9%, but in 2013, after initiating a series of reforms that continued over the next several years, they got to a rate of 6% in 2014, 5% in 2015. They're now at 2.25%. Uh, 2 
and are bringing it down to 2.25% by 2025 and actually phasing it out to zero by 2030. So from like North Carolina is going from having one of the highest in the region and a high rate nationally to now having no corporate income tax at all within the next decade. So that's quite notable. But as you mentioned, in addition to these reforms that are benefiting C corporations, each of those three states also either has or is in the process of implementing a flat individual income tax. So that, of course, benefits pass-through businesses, which pay under the individual rather than the corporate income tax code. So it's important that they're not leaving out small businesses and pass-throughs as they're making these corporate reforms. And so, you know, Pennsylvania has a one of the lowest flat rates in the country at just over 3%. North Carolina's had a flat tax since 2014, um, and they're reducing that rate over time. Um, and Iowa, again, is in the process of phasing in a flat, low rate. So really, on both the across all businesses, these states are committed to making the tax code friendly, no matter what type of business you are, no matter what your industry is, these states want to attract business investment and growth. And that's reflected in the way they're you know, reforming their tax codes. Is it really the simplicity, do you think, of, you know, having a flat, a flat rate, everybody knows exactly what it's going to be? Or is there something else that really is so attractive about those flat tax rates? If you could just spend a minute more on that. Well, there's a lot of things that make a flat tax more attractive than a really progressive graduated tax. And one of those things is simplicity. It's easier for taxpayers to estimate about how much they're going to pay each year. Whereas with graduated rate income structures, it you really have to get out a calculator, a pen and paper and do the math there. You can't just estimate in your head what your liability is going to be for the year. So that's certainly one thing. And then from the revenue um, revenue estimating standpoint too, it just so happens that flat taxes are easier for revenue estimators to model in terms of how changes to the tax rate would impact the state. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But really the most important thing is that flat taxes remove the disincentive for additional labor and investment on the margin. Whereas if you have a graduated rate structure where at certain thresholds of income, you're being taxed at progressively higher and higher rates, that creates an, a disincentive to do additional work on the margin. It makes it less likely that people will enter the workforce or take on additional employment or work additional hours if they're going to be able if they're going to be seeing less of that actually benefiting them in terms of take-home pay. So this is really one of the best ways states can make their tax structure more conducive to long-term economic growth. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, that disincentive when you go from one step to the next, and if it's just a marginally over, that it can actually be a, a penalty. It's a great point. So thank you. Thank you for elaborating You know, on that. So maybe I'll just try and round out the conversation a little bit and Try to take advantage, you know, if you were with us here in New Jersey and, you know, watching what's going on in the uh, in the rest of the country. Are there any states that have undertaken tax cuts that you're concerned about or you think shouldn't be followed? Yeah, you know, the major tax reforms that have been enacted that have involved individual and corporate income tax rate cuts over the past two years, those are good reforms. I'm not concerned about any of those. 
It's more of the gimmicky things that have been concerning to me where states see that they have so much extra revenue on hand. So a lot of states are handing out you know, multiple rounds of income tax rebates and are funneling this extra cash back into the economy, which can be an inflationary thing, um, you know, exacerbating the inflation we're already seeing. And so, you know, while that's politically popular, it's not the best way to pursue tax reform and to make the mate to make the state more attractive for the long term. So we definitely are encouraging states to try to estimate how much of this is actually revenue growth that is going to be long-term excess revenue and return that to taxpayers through permanent income tax rate reductions and other pro-growth reforms. So again, of those that we've seen over the past two years, none of them have been concerning to me because these are states that are growing. They have a lot of revenue on hand. Their rainy day funds are at some of the best levels they've ever been in their history. You know, they're well prepared to weather the next recession. And at the same time, if you look at the overall budgets these states are adopting, a lot of them are enacting tax cuts while also even increasing funding for various state programs. So, you know, they have this extra revenue that's either being spent on additional permanent spending or additional permanent tax relief. And so it's good to, you know, look at the bigger picture there. And then the one final comment I'll make on that front is that, you know, critics of pro-growth tax reform often point to the 2012 tax tax cuts in Kansas this as kind of an example of tax reform gone wrong. But I'll note that there have been over two dozen states that have made significant reforms since Kansas in 2012, and none of those states have had major catastrophes. So that really shows that what happened in Kansas was very different than what's happening and what's being proposed and adopted in these other states. You know, in Kansas, major tax cuts were enacted, but the pay-fors never got across the finish line. So there was a significant budget gap there where they just cut revenues by a significant margin, knowing that they weren't going to be able to make those up. And that was the biggest problem there among plenty of others. So no, I'm not concerned about the ones we've seen in recent years. And I think as long as states continue to keep an eye on how much they're bringing in, um, you know, continuing, continuing to use revenue triggers or just phase down rates a little bit at a time, I think that's a really great way to pursue pro-growth reforms. Well, you said an awful lot in there. So I just want to, I know, highlight a a couple of points, um, you know, for the audience. Um, You know, one is that we couldn't agree more uh, with you about these one-shot deals and rebates and, you know, one-time events that are subject to the vagaries of the year-to-year budgeting process are no way to engender confidence either from businesses or from residents that you know we you know can know what to expect it's going to cost us to operate or live in a state and that number 2 you were also saying it's a you know it's a it's a complicated model but it's one that's been proven right that to the extent you can give um, businesses confidence over years that the investments that they'll make will have a certain you know level of taxation whether it is flat or stepping down as you just described you know each year that they will continue to stay with and invest and grow the whole economy so I think that's a you know really you know two important points that you know you were making and that you know number three I guess that 
we've we've learned right from some of the states that maybe in the early days made some um, more aggressive and didn't understand you have to do both sides of the ledger. There's the revenue side and the expense side, and those trade offs, and you have to aggressively manage both sides. So thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know, it looks like people other states are figuring it out. And so as we think about New Jersey, Catherine, if you you know wouldn't mind, I mean, I mean, because I guess what we've been saying and advocating is that. You know, there's this window of opportunity right now because in this post-pandemic market, you know, there's a looming, you know, contraction really of the national economy that maybe in global, you might say, that everyone has uh, really predicting. And the businesses are repositioning themselves based on where their workers want to live, as you remarked earlier, as well as where they will, the business will have cost flexibility to maneuver through the expected economic turbulence. So looking forward, into fiscal year 2024. You know, Catherine, what's your assessment of what it will take for New Jersey to compete effectively with these other states to win more jobs and economic growth? You know, that's a really good question. And I think to start, it's just trying to go away from being such an extreme outlier on taxes. So really taking that first step towards saying we want to be a state that people and businesses can flourish in, that people want to come to, that people find to be affordable, while also getting the quality of services that people expect. And I think that is possible for New Jersey, but it has to start with that first step toward a a commitment to trying to make the environment and the tax code more conducive to growth. So I think that'll start by acknowledging where the problems lie and what the problem areas are in the tax code and, you know, acknowledging that these exorbitantly high individual and corporate income tax rates aren't doing the state many favors. And they are keeping a lot of people and a lot of business investment away that the state could really benefit from. So, you know, taking that first step toward acknowledging what the problems are and making some positive changes now and then continuing to maintain a commitment to that in future years would be wonderful to see. But, you know, obviously that's a bit of a tall order and it can be hard for states that have been used to raising taxes for so long to change their mindset on this. But, you know, I think the uh, growth trends and the interstate migration trends are really showing that people are tired of living in high tax, high cost of living areas when they don't feel like their um, hard earned money is, you know, being respected and that sometimes the state is just taking more than they even have use for. You know, New Jersey has a huge surplus right now and hasn't been talking too seriously about major reforms yet. You know, there's been a couple of things here and there, some property tax relief, some talks of potentially, you know, walking back or letting that business surcharge expire. But these are some of the bare minimum things we should be talking Talking about, but really state legislators should be looking beyond that to how they can make the state more attractive to, to businesses and individuals in the long run. Yeah, I couldn't, you know, I've uh, said it better myself in terms of us being an outlier. And I think even to your last point about the surcharge, even if the surcharge is relieved, that we still remain in the top few uh, in terms of the corporate tax rate. So it's insufficient. Uh, number one. And number two, I don't see any of these states changing their direction. 
right? These states that have embarked upon these reforms, like North Carolina and Iowa and now Pennsylvania, they've embarked on these reforms and they don't seem to, in fact, they're flourishing as a result. And so the competitive environment is such that it's only going to get tougher and tougher for New Jersey to get on the train the longer we wait. So we've been trying to, you know, advocate for, you know, take the first step, you know, we understand, right, that it's very frightening and in, in an environment where you're used to doing the opposite, which is raising rates to collect more revenue, as opposed to declining rates, and, you know, understanding how that will grow the overall total revenue for the state. So it's just a question of will, I guess, and that maybe, you know, as I say, you could round out your comments with, I don't see any of these others stopping the direction we're on, we got to get on the train soon, unless you see it differently than that. Some of these states that were in a bad position and that were comparable to New Jersey in terms of high tax rates, they've taken on the hard task of tax reform over many years, and they're still working toward um, a better, more competitive tax structure. But these reforms take time, so it really needs to be something that legislators have to have determined is important yesterday. You know, it's not something they can continue to afford to wait to do sometime in the future because rates are getting lower and lower across the country as more and more states realize that taxing productivity and business investment isn't the way to attract businesses or to um, attract people to their states or to see uh, their state's economies grow the way they want to. Um, so really, there has to be a desire to move in that opposite direction. And starting small is you know, perfectly acceptable as long as there's a commitment over the long run to always looking for ways to make tax codes more pro-growth and less burdensome to the taxpayers who pay their taxes. Catherine Lawhead from the Tax Foundation, you've given us great insights and we'd love to have you back on and hopefully talk about how New Jersey has taken up reform. Thank you so much. The GSI Briefing is produced by the Garden State Initiative. For more information about GSI, visit us at gardenstateinitiative.org and be sure to follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the GSI Briefing on the podcast platform of your choice. And please leave us a good rating. This is Regina Agia, and thank you for listening.